Welcome. This is the Technically Podcast. I'm your host, Shep, and I'm joined again today by my co-host, Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. It's a nice weekend. I'm ready for some fireworks. Yep. Fourth of July here in the States. You got any plans? Just to go outside and watch all the crazy people with their fireworks. That's uh, pretty much it. It's going to be fun. Hopefully Florida man doesn't burn anything down. Oh, you know how that's going to happen. Indeed. Um, I'm thinking maybe I'll get some get some grilling done tonight. I need to go pick up like some steaks or hot dogs or something. Nothing more America than that. Absolutely. Going to cook some burgers. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Well, I hope this evening goes well for you. Let's go ahead and roll right in. Let's do some uh, some tech news. Awesome. I'm excited. All right. So first up on the docket, we've got our zero emissions uh, standards and push that we're seeing from both California and the U.S. House. What's your thoughts on this? I mean, this is obviously something that's of great importance to a lot of people, but it's also controversial for some people. What do you think? I actually think it's, you know, getting pushed to increase our technical prowess as a, you know, a country. I think it's great. Eventually, it's going to go that way anyway. Batteries are going to get better. Technical, you know, cars, electronic cars. That's just, I think it's the way of the future. So might as well be on top of it while we're, while we're here. Yeah, I, I definitely feel very similarly. I feel like when it comes to something like an electric vehicle, it's something that if we are not going to be on the forefront of, we are going to be following for the foreseeable future. And I think we're starting to see this at least differentiating between like, say, Tesla and other electric car companies. You've probably heard the news that I think it's Ford is looking to electrify their basically their entire line of vehicles in the next like 20 years, something to that effect. So I think that if we are not pushing this, we're going to fall behind. Absolutely. And having some sort of incentives, either through taxes or mandating like California is, is probably a good way to push the envelope. Right, right. And so you know, as I've heard the phrase, like how California goes, the rest of the nation goes as well. And we've seen this before with things like emission standards. You know, I, I don't necessarily think that that always perfectly happens, but sometimes you just have to have the largest state in the nation kind of get the ball rolling for people to realize, hey, this doesn't tank the economy. It does work just fine. Maybe we should continue to do this. At the rate people are moving to Florida, that may not be, they may not be the largest state much longer. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. Like, and they're at least physically pretty large, at least. They are. Oh, uh, yeah. So when we look at this, I think that as far as America goes, if we're going to be on the forefront of this, we not only have to embrace building and using these, you know, zero emission vehicles, whether they're large trucks, whether they're, you know, smaller vehicles that everyday person might use. But we also need to invest in the battery technology. Currently, America doesn't exactly have a whole lot in the way of battery technology manufacturing. I know that Tesla is doing some research. They acquired the, uh, the Maxwell, I think is the name of the company that is working on a supercapacitor battery of sorts. So like there is some development happening and there's also like dry process batteries, which will be both faster and cheaper to make and like less toxic chemicals involved in its making. So we could see some progress on that front, but currently all the major manufacturers for batteries, Panasonic, Samsung, they're not in the States, they're elsewhere. And so if we're not going to compete, we're going to get left behind. 
No, I totally agree. Definitely needs to be some research for that technology. So I guess moral of the story here is if there's not a direct profit motive, sometimes you got to have the government come in and say, hey, this is what we expect you to do. Make it happen. Here's the deadline. Some people might not like it, but it's kind of how we have to do it sometimes. Definitely is for sure. All right. Next up on the docket, we've got the API vulnerability in the Starbucks app, which I thought was an interesting thing for us to find. It comes from this uh, guy named Sam Curry, him and a couple other of developers, I guess, stumbled upon a like a proxy that Starbucks was using to go between their app and their backend servers. And it turns out that this proxy and their web-based application firewall, like they were not in some way, shape or form, like authenticating their requests. What's your thoughts here? It's, it's, it's crazy. And it, the thing that, that I pulled out of this the most is, uh, it's, it's a good thing that they have these bounty programs because it allows other people to take, you know, a look that maybe their own pen testers had not taken, I guess it just helps. And it allows, it's kind of like pen testing, but the community version, (laughs) it's a great way to do this. It's kind of a scary thing to do because, you know, I don't know anybody that has, that that does not have a Starbucks account. I really don't. I mean, do you? Oh yeah. I've, I've got the Starbucks app. I've had a a Starbucks gift card. I think they went back when they had their gold card, like 10 years ago that you had to buy enough coffee and then they sent you like this special gold colored card. I've still got that thing somewhere. (laughs) So do I actually. Oh, those are the days. But yeah, the the way I see it is this is an example of two things. Obviously, the the part about like securing and authorizing your transactions and where they're coming from. Like if you're particularly like if you're using a proxy, not to just trust that the proxy is allowed, but that actually we need to have another layer that is this request that's hitting the proxy even allowed to access what you're trying to tell it to access. Secondly, I think that, as you mentioned, like a bug bounty program, it's definitely a scary thing, but I think it's an important thing that if you are a modern day company and you do not have a bug bounty program, go out, sign up on one of these platforms, get people to to take a poke and look at your systems so that you can actually have a better relationship with those people who are trying to get in. And a much safer relationship, I would guess. Absolutely. Definitely want to protect their data. Yeah, I I don't know the full extent, like you kind of saw some snippets of the at least schema that they were able to pull and see what uh, what data they could get. Yeah, some of the stuff is not just like your name and your email address, which obviously is annoying to get out, but like where you live and who knows if you were able to, to continue to poke at this and get payment information, that would be potentially a big problem. Yeah, they said that um, they did not finish taking a look at it as of the writing of this article. So it's possible there are other other vulnerabilities that were needing to be remediated. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think when you have a pen testing group going, hey, there's so much here that we need to just go ahead and tell them. I think that's a problem. It sure is. But that's where it becomes fun for people that, you know, love the pen testing portion. I mean, a lot of people even do it for free, but people would definitely make good money doing the bug bounty programs for different companies. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Next up on the uh, (laughs) on our list here is ironically somewhat related. (laughs) We've got these anti-encryption bills coming through the legislature, mainly at the federal level. Um, We've got the Earn It Act. We've got the Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act. That one is, I guess, a weird wave, like the LEAD Act, I guess. What's your thoughts here? 
what are we looking at? Like, why, why are people pushing this? I honestly don't understand why would you want your data access to your own personal data, you know, have a backdoor for somebody to exploit. It's never a good thing when someone has that ability because it's always going to be uh, exploited or it's going to be someone's going to take advantage of this. Right. I think the problem that we're seeing is once again, there's the argument of think of the children being used. I understand that we do need to protect our vulnerable populations. Absolutely. However, I do not think you're actually going to be able to protect those vulnerable populations by eliminating encryption as we know it. People think that, oh, well, if you're making the software, why couldn't you have a key? One argument I've heard is like a multi-part key, like you have one half of the key to the government, one half of the key to like an auditing or uh, escrow type uh, company or group, and then one part of the key is held by the actual creator of the program. The problem I can see with this is that that's just kind of obfuscating how many pieces you need. There is still a way to access the data, and once that way is discovered, there is no going back. It's like when there was encryption on DVDs. I don't know if you really remember those DRM days when people were like getting upset that their DVD player couldn't play newer DVDs. Eventually, the key was found. All DVDs that had ever been produced up to that point, completely vulnerable, and then also, going forward, any DVDs created had the same problem. Because now, if you're going to make a DVD, you don't want to invalidate 10 years of DVD players and just say, oh, buy new stuff. People are not going to accept that, especially back when like a DVD player was like $500. Right. And I think another aspect to look at is we as a society, especially as a free society, we look at authoritarian governments and say, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you spying on your people? But yet they're going to introduce a bill that would also do this into our own government legislator. Right. Right. And there's always the other side to consider, right? Like a lot of these technologies, a lot of like the underlying encryption technologies were actually developed by the government to protect either their own communications or as a, like a tool to allow vulnerable populations in other countries to dissent and to organize against, you know, governments that we would oppose. Um, things like the Tor browser is another example that was created by the government as a way for like there to be a safe communication. Now we have the dark web. Is that necessarily a good or bad thing? It can be, but it can also be used for good. If you have like political dissidents in another, another country, those people need to have protection just as much as, you know, somebody who's here in the States. And yes, people are going to do bad things. I personally find things like child abuse uh, particularly sexual child abuse, to be especially abhorrent. I don't think any person in their right mind would go, yeah, let's make more of that. However, at the same time, we can't say all the hundreds of millions of other people in this country, they now have to be at further risk of their financial data or their otherwise private data. It doesn't necessarily need to be financial. Their private data being exposed because somebody managed to crack it. Because once it's exposed, it's out there. Like you're not able to undo that. And so having this master key spread across all programs 
would absolutely destroy the concept of security. Absolutely. And using like the major spying applications or bills that they have, like the Patriot Act, to, you know, spy on large groups of people hasn't really done very much. There's no there's no real evidence that we know of that has been released that to actually, you know, support that. Absolutely. So it's not it's definitely not a a good way to go. It's it's going more authoritarian. It's going more being suspicious of your people. It's it's not a good way to go. It is not a good look on a freedom loving society like ours. Kind of interesting that we're doing this on July 4th. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. I think we've uh, run around that one enough. Next up, we have some fun things we can talk about. We've got NASA apparently already starting plans for six more of their Artemis missions. Well, let's let's start off. What's Artemis? What are we doing here just for the folks who may not be up to date? So it looks like it's just a, from my understanding, it's a mission name. It's a program to bring people to the moon and who knows where after that. I know they have, um, I think, up to nine missions planned. The plans for Artemis 4 through 9 have no no details yet, so we don't know what's going to happen after that. But Artemis 3, it seems, is going to put someone on the moon somewhere around 2024. So I'm pretty excited about this. Living in Florida, being within you know somewhat of a good range of Cape Canaveral, it's going to be pretty exciting, especially with how large this rocket's going to be. It's going to be pretty fun. What do you think about that? I think that, you know, obviously the Artemis program, it has... It has some detractors because it's like, well, why go to the moon again? At the same time, I think we go to the moon because it's interesting to go to the moon. Yes, it costs a lot of money to go to the moon, but the the technologies we develop on the way to getting there are worth every penny. You can thank so many things that we have and enjoy in our, you know, modern life to the space race. And so I think that we're doing that in another way now. Now, one of the things that I'm somewhat hopeful for Uh, if we can actually get settled on the moon, is the concept of mining. We've got this giant block of ore up in the sky, basically. Sure, we can't bring it all down here. That would be bad. But we can do things like mine helium from the moon. There is helium in the rocks in the moon. Right now, we are actually facing a very serious problem when it comes to a, you know, a unrecoverable resource like helium. Helium, once you let it go, it's out in the atmosphere, it floats away into space, never to be seen again. Our Earth does just not have enough gravity to keep it down here. So, ultimately, where will we, where will we go with the moon? Nobody really knows. But the process of getting there, I fully support. Absolutely. Going back to the point that you made earlier about NASA, a contributor to the economy, it's it's a major contributor to the economy. So many inventions, like you mentioned, come from there and it pays for itself in numerous amounts. Personally, I wish they would more than double NASA's budget because of how much they innovate. And being a budget of only, you know, around, I think it's around 20 billion, I believe. It's really not that much in the grand scheme of things. And they do very well for it. Right. Especially considering what they do with that, you know, 20 billion or whatever. Now, as to like this commitment to six more of these Artemis missions, I believe you mentioned uh, it's missions four through nine. So those last six. The reasoning behind this, from what I've heard, from what I've read, it has to do with the fact that there are some very long lead parts, particularly around the boosters, that they need to start manufacturing now if they're going to be ready in several years. Obviously, Going to space is hard. It involves a lot of complex parts and problems. Going to the moon is even harder. You have to move a lot more mass and you have to have a lot more delta V or like change in direction in order to get there. So 
Obviously, this isn't easy. We've got to pour our resources into it. And so this commitment to those large, long lead products that we need to start building now is, in my mind, a very good and solid commitment to the future. Are you saying that they, the missions four through nine are because they need to develop other... The reason why they haven't released it is because they need to develop certain technologies for it? No, I was talking about the pipeline. Um, so the oh, I see. this specific commitment that they've made for these next six missions, they've always kind of been ephemerally out there of like, yeah, we obviously once we've gone back to the moon, we want to have other missions to do things on the moon. It's that particularly parts around the boosters, if we don't start building them right now, they're not going to be ready by the time we need them. Now, obviously, there's probably some inefficiencies in there because of how the government contracting process for the SLS happens. So I'm sure that there's some complication there. I'm sure that if it were like a vertically integrated system like SpaceX, it could probably be done a lot faster. However, this is obviously not a SpaceX project. Right. It's not. I'm wondering if they're going to use the later missions for the Artemis project to actually get to Mars. I know there was a timeline that was set for the 2030s to actually get us to Mars, but it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out for sure. Definitely. I yeah, I don't know anything about that, but we will have to see. Absolutely. All right. Next up, we have facial recognition leading to a, lo- a wrongful arrest. So this is something that you've kind of heard mumblings of, of like, you know, facial recognition is generally shitty when it comes to identifying people of color, particularly black people. Now we have a very real life, like guttural example of how bad this can be. What do we have that's happened? Where do we go from here? Honestly, I think that whole problem would have been solved if they would have just, you know, compared the two pictures. The guy looks nothing like the picture from the facial recognition software that said that they were a match. So I think, you know, through the line, they should have looked at it and not have been so lazy or complacent in believing that this this software was correct. I think that that obviously would help a lot. The big concern that I have, what I remember hearing of on this subject, they showed the recognition match to somebody who claims to have had some kind of hand in like identifying the person. However, they were not there and they were not actually, they did not actually have firsthand knowledge of seeing this person. So that's a problem. Like if you're going to, if you're going to do like the running it by somebody to verify, you need to make sure that your source actually has any kind of standing to make that judgment first off second off if this was in any way shape or form committed to in an automated fashion that needs to go away right now i don't have a problem with say if there's a crime trying to identify somebody who is already in like the system of mugshots from surveillance footage like in the store that was robbed i don't have a problem with that And then you can then verify, see if you know who that person is, try to get some kind of information over like where they were, if they have an alibi, do the normal, you know, police footwork that you have to do when you're investigating a problem. The concern I have is if this technology is ending up being used to eventually, even though I don't think it's happening right now, but eventually lead to warrants. I think that we have the potential for some very tragic things to happen, like what we saw with Breonna Taylor, like we've seen numerous other times where the police act on a warrant without really verifying 
who it is thereafter. Especially uh, whenever the software is actually, it hasn't been, you know, fine-tuned. It's still very, very new. It's kind of a scary thing, to be honest. Yeah. And not only has it not been fine-tuned, in a lot of cases, the training data sets just simply lack a lot of examples of people of color and especially people who are black. You know, a lot of these systems, they're based off of contrast. And so if you cannot pick up the contrast of, say, cheekbone structure, how are you supposed to actually match this with software? You can't. So I think, and we've seen this at least with some companies saying, hey, we're not going to allow police to use our software. I think that that's a good first step, but I don't think it's enough. And going back to the point that you made that they should not be able to use the data sets from driver's licenses. Honestly, I, I agree with that, that they should not be able to use that, those data sets People have done nothing wrong. Honestly, I think that's a violation of the Fourth Amendment, even though the data set is with the government. But they, there should be some there should be a line there. I have to say I would agree with that. I think that just because information is public does not mean that you should be allowed to just take it and use it when trying to prosecute somebody for a crime. If they've been in the system and you can have like mugshots that show who they are, that's a different story. If you've got a suspicion that it might be somebody because you saw them in surveillance at the store that was robbed and you're able to track, you know, maybe what car they got away in and then you can actually go surveil them in the location that you suspect they are totally okay with that. You that is that is real world policing that is that is on the ground doing detective work. That's fine. It's when you go and automate that that I have a problem. Right. Absolutely. And then you have things that happen that are wrong like this that, you know, it, it's embarrassing for a police department. I'm sure I, I can't imagine this was, you know, good, you know, it's definitely bad PR. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right. Let's roll in forward here. We've got something that is obviously of less real world impact, but still important to a lot of people. We have Gmail having problems with their spam filters. Uh, what what happened here, Mike? My, my question is, is what, I wonder if this is affecting Gmail for business. I know it, it probably is. I'm assuming it is. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't actually, I, I do have a Gmail for business account. I mean, I think most people who run a business do. However, they were very vague on the details here, like why or what happened. According to what I could find from Google, uh, like a statement that was released by them, it had to do with something in their email processing chain taking too long. And as a result, the spam filters were skipped. So rather than delay delivery of your email by, say, minutes or even hours, they went ahead and skipped the, the spam check. Who knows exactly why that happened? I would argue that even the Gmail engineers probably don't know why, because it's probably done by a you know machine learning algorithm at this point. But there are some real world consequences here if spam gets through. What do you think on that side of the thing, that side of the coin? Well, from what I read, it it says that the malware filtering was fully operational. Uh, so it was being scanned for malware. I would have thought, you know, if it's going to be delayed, how can we be sure that they were actually doing the malware scanning? To me, it seems like you should be careful clicking emails that have come in the last few days. I do believe it was resolved, though. So I <laughs> just be careful clicking those emails. I think your standard, I guess you could say email hygiene still applies here. I think we'll probably see an increase in this period of time. We're told that it's been remediated at this point, but I think that we will probably see during this time 
that a number of these phishing emails probably got through because I, I imagine that a lot of phishing emails are caught by spam filters. Right. It said it was just it said it was just spam, but a lot of malware will come in as, you know, looking like spam from what my from my experience. Right. Thinking of I'm I'm thinking not necessarily malware embedded within it, but like links that lead somewhere that try to get you to to do something bad. You know, click on this PDF. I think the moral of the story be safe out there. Don't open email from people that you don't know and don't click on things that you're not sure of. All right. Next up, we've got some talk on data caps. One of the things that happened, it wasn't legislated or anything like that, but one of the things that happened is there was a commitment from some of the ISPs to raise or to not enforce data caps while people are quarantined. Those are starting to expire. And people are getting upset at that. What's your thoughts here? I know there's a couple of them that have extended it. However, it isn't really for much longer. It's maybe another month. And I know this virus and people working from home is is going to be longer than that. So I guess we'll see on if they extend it again. I honestly, I mean, who likes data caps? Who likes the thought of them? You probably rarely even run into this problem of. Right you capping out your data, but still it's, it's still egregious. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem here, right? I would be very interested to see the data and see how many people even got near their data cap. Most of these data caps are like a terabyte. I think that most people, even if you're streaming like 4k Netflix, you're probably not going to reach a data cap unless you're just sitting there leaving it on in the background and constantly hitting the keep playing button. I think you'll be all right. However, we as, you know, freedom-loving America over here, we love our all-you-can-eat buffets. You can say this is a failing in society, I would probably agree, but people like the idea that they don't have a limit on what they can and can't do. Personally, if I were an ISP, I wouldn't even bother with data caps. I would say, this is how much bandwidth you're provisioned for. I will grant you this much, and they should be held accountable for that. If you say you're going to provide 200 megabit, you should provide 200 megabit, at least like at the 95th percentile. However, in reality, even if you are maxing out that 200 megabits, for example, there's only so much data you can download in a month. That is your realistic functional data cap and just let that exist without defining it. Right. Luckily, I have a service provider that is prevented currently from putting a data cap on my data, but I know they're eventually going to try to change that. Yeah. And again, I think that most people are not going to be affected by a one terabyte cap, though it's the principle that irritates people. Right. Absolutely. Honestly, they should be required to put how much data I guess they're capping it at along with their speed. Well, yeah, like I said, just if you just correlate it, just take away the cap entirely. Just guarantee a certain amount of bandwidth as a minimum, because honestly, once you've laid the hardware, once you've laid the fiber in the ground, adding more capacity is pretty easy. You might have to upgrade a switch or something, but realistically, upgrading the hardware is probably the most complicated thing. But once the wires are in the ground, once the fibers in the ground, you really don't have to do a whole lot. Absolutely. All right. And finally for today, let's talk about something that is simultaneously neat and creepy. We've got Disney with their face swapping technology. I'm sure most people have heard of the concept of deep fakes. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and start looking at some deep fakes. They are hilarious. They oftentimes will take like an impersonator or an actor and they will swap the face of the person that they're impersonating onto them. 
it's hilarious. I've seen ones where Elon Musk's face was swapped onto Tony Stark. I've seen, I think his name's Bill Hader, where he does some impressions on a on a talk show and somebody swaps out his face depending on who he's impersonating. It's super neat, also kind of creepy, but has some potential there, right? Now we have Disney getting into the game. What's important here, though, is that Disney, as Disney tends to do, has gone above and beyond what anyone else is actually doing with the technology. What's your thoughts here, Mike? So when I first saw the video uh, on the the Disney, uh, it's their YouTube channel. It's just like, I think it's Disney Research Studios. My first thought was, wow, that is really good. That's, that is really cool. And then I got into where it's not, <laughs> I've, I've thought about the implications of this. Like, will video become unusable in American courts? Because someone could say, hey, uh, that's not me. That's uh, someone, you know, put my face on that on that person. That's not me. And also, how will authoritarian governments, say the Chinese government or North Korea, they could say, hey, look, this person over here definitely, definitely did this. This is them. It's There's a lot of bad things that could come from this. So my first thought when I see when I saw this was, wow, that's really good. It's going to be amazing to to see them put people in movies, you know, that may have passed away, especially in the Star Wars franchise. Because I'm sure they're going to continue making, you know, another 10 movies out of that. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's super crazy good, but it's super scary. I think that that's going to be a big problem. And right now, that's not not a big problem. Even with the Disney technology, which has some things to fix, like eye tracking and stuff like that. I think that we're still we're still going to be able to detect at least like on a pixel by pixel change that like say vectors for for pixels shift slightly when the face moves. I think that right now we'll be able to pick it up. But in the very near future, probably the next five to 10 years, it will be indistinguishable even at a technologically like analyzed level. Absolutely. Especially in 10 years. But if someone took the video and kind of toned down, you know, made the resolution smaller, it'd be very hard to do. To determine if that's real or not. Right. Also, in the future, if authoritarian governments decide to, you know, put someone in a place that they were not just to persecute them, it could be very bad for any dissenters of, you know, an authoritarian government. Yeah, I definitely hope that we wouldn't see that happening here, but I definitely could see that happening in some place like North Korea. There are terrible people that will definitely use this for for bad if you will. The, like, trying to shift back and look at some of the neat things about it, which, yes, there's some scary things, but some of the neat things are the resolution. Right now, the best open source thing out there, uh, it's called Deep Face Lab. They're able to generate deep fakes that can create a face that is about 320 by 320 pixels. Not very big, but at least on, like, a high-definition video clip, the face doesn't generally cover that big of a space, unless you're zoomed, like, right up on them. But, like, a normal, I'm looking at it from a distance, you know, I'm doing an interview, view and like I can see the top half of the person, that face is going to be fine. I'm not going to really be able to tell. They've taken this up to 1024 by 1024, which is huge. Now we're talking in the realm of, you know, 4K video, very easy, maybe even fitting it into some 8K footage. That is mind blowing. I can only imagine the processing time to generate these is astronomical. Already, if you want to do 320 by 320, it takes a long time and it uses a huge amount of memory. So right now, unless you're willing to probably invest tens of thousands of dollars into a rendering computer to do this or spend like days upon weeks to do this, probably okay. Not going to be something the average person can do in their basement with a video card. 
but I think we'll get there. We're already seeing some video cards being announced with well over 10 gigabytes. I mean, we've already had some that have exceeded it, like 12 gigabytes, I think, is about the average top end on the consumer side. But we're looking at some coming, I know, from AMD. I've seen some, obviously, coming down from NVIDIA that even double that. So when we're talking about a huge amount of video memory, we'll see this as a, as a thing accessible to more people. I'm sure there will be more hilarious memes, but I'm sure that people will also use it for bad. Absolutely. And going back to your point of it costing a 10, 20 grand for a computer, Disney has that money. So they're definitely going to. That's a rounding error. They're going to have no problems. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yes, it is. It's definitely a rounding error. Yeah. So they have that money. So, yeah, when it comes to comes to Disney, I think it'll be neat. At the same time, I don't necessarily want to have maybe new stories written with old people. Right. Like if you have people who have passed, I think that you can respect that they've done a good job and that that they've actually been able to leave their their small mark on society. I think that we can honor that. I think that where we'll see this technology really used more is right now, if you wanted to do like VFX of, say, a character like Gollum, you still end up having to do motion capture and CGI compositing in order to put the face of Gollum onto this person. What if instead of having to go through the setup of hours of like gluing dust to people's faces in this huge stage in which to record them, what if you just had them put on a blue or green suit and just do it? And then you were able to then match the the emotions of the face to the character much more easily. That's a pretty great idea. You could do some sort of body paint, like green body paint to, I guess, mask the character that way. Yeah, they've they've got the body suits and stuff for that. But we'll have to see what comes of it. I think that the memes will be hilarious. But at the same time, I think that we have to be careful. You know, just like anything, you can use it for good or bad. All right. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed the show today. We will be back shortly, probably next week. And if you've liked what you've heard, please give us a subscribe. Maybe even toss up a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever you saw this. Thanks for listening. This podcast is hosted by me, Shep Alderson. And Mike Anderson. And it was edited and produced by Shep Alderson. 